Welcome to Gardening Naturally with Jeff Ferris. Call or text Jeff now with your gardening and landscape questions. 512-836-0590. Hey, good morning, gardeners. Welcome to or welcome back to Gardening Naturally on a gorgeous day. Going to be pretty outside. The sun's shining or trying to shine. Still got some clouds. Should have got some rain last night. Some of us at least got some rain last night. I guess the amount varies heavily depending on where you live. Um, I only got about a quarter of an inch. I got a total of about one inch of rain so far this entire week. I'll take that. That's a good number. In this kind of weather, that's perfect. I won't have to water anything. All of my containers even should have gotten enough water with this rain. Now, some of you got swamped, okay? Not a lot you can do about that. You probably have very wet soil. One of the things that you'll start to see when the soil is constantly wet, when it's really, really got a lot of moisture in it, you'll start to see that certain nutrients aren't available to the plant. And you'll see some yellowing of the leaves. Maybe even some of the tips of the leaves will turn dark. That is not mean your plant is dying. It does not mean anything is wrong. As soon as the water evens itself back out, your plants will recover. What's going on? Well, there's a bunch of nutrients in the soil that are absolutely useless to the plant until the critters in the soil, the bacteria, the protozoa, the amoebas, the fungi, all of those microscopic critters get a hold of the nutrient and convert it to a form that the plant can use. So when we get lots and lots of water, those guys drown. They, they need water, no doubt about it, but they also need oxygen. So if it waters so much, that you push the oxygen out of the soil, those plants are suddenly without their help. Those microscopic biologies are dying. They're not doing their job. And they won't until we recover that soil to get oxygen back down in it. That's why it's so important. Container plants in the ground, all of them, Soil drainage is critical. You need the soil to drain really well because as the soil drains, the water that drains out of it is replaced with oxygen. Oxygen is drawn into the soil that way. And that oxygen is needed for all of those biologies to oxidize the nutrients that are in the soil. 
By doing that, they break the nutrients into forms that the plants can easily use. Iron is a material that is useless to plants. Well, yeah, I said that. And the reason for that is iron in the soil is in a form that can't get into the cell walls of the roots. So the plant can never use it. But there's soil biology that will take the iron and break it down in such a way that it becomes a form that's easily usable by the plants. But that soil biology needs oxygen. And if we drown our plants, whether we water too much or whether it rains too much, for a period of time, the biology that is doing that work isn't available. And without the biology doing that work, your plant can't get that nutrient. And it'll start to show it to you by yellowing, by browning on the tips. It is not fatal. It is not fatal to the plant. The first thing you should look for if you have these kind of conditions, whether it's an indoor plant in a pot, an outdoor plant in a container, or in the ground, stick your finger in the dirt. How wet are the conditions the plants are growing in? If it's in a container, is the container draining? Or maybe the pot got so root bound that water can't drain out of it well anymore. And without that water draining, you don't draw in the oxygen, you don't feed that biology, you don't get all the nutrients you're supposed to have for that plant. And it'll show it, it'll look poorly. You'll get bad growth and yellowing. You know, another thing is plants can become leggy. What am I talking about? When a plant grows, a healthy plant, one leaf will come out on the stem, the stem will grow up, another leaf will come out on the stem. The distance between the two leaves is called the internodal distance. How big is it from one leaf to the next? A really leggy plant where there's a big gap between the leaves, the internodal distance gets very large, that can be caused by overwatering. It makes the plants leggy. So if you're looking at one of your plants and, oh, no, it's not yellow, it's nice and green, but you have this huge gap from leaf to leaf compared to a regular plant, it's possible that it's been overwatered. And there is no way to dry it out. Get asked that occasionally. Is there anything I can put in the soil to get rid of the water? Nope. Nope. It will drain. Time will drain it. Quit watering it. That is a good thing to take into account. But it will drain on its own. And once it does, you will get the soil biology back. You will get the nutrients you need made available for your plants. 
and your plants will look so much better. Overwatering is, I think overwatering causes as much problems as any particular disease or pest. So figure your plants out. They'll tell you how much water they need. And you can tell when they're over water with simply a finger. Stick it in the ground, you'll know. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. I need to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Um, getting some questions about, is it okay to be planting certain things? Yes, it is. Fruit trees? Good time to put them in the ground. You have to understand, oh, I'm going to plant a fruit tree, but it could freeze. You're going to plant a tree. We don't move trees. Be nice if we could, but once it's in the ground, it is at the mercy of the weather. And trees have evolved to be able to handle most of that. Um. I transplanted a fig last week. I have no fear of it freezing or uh, things like that. It'll do just fine. And most of the nurseries are bringing in the fruit trees right now from apples and peaches and pears and plums and all of the in-between ones. So this is a good time, a good time to be getting those fruit trees in the ground. They're not going to be damaged if we get a freeze. Okay, they, they'll be all right. They will get damaged if we get another 144 consecutive hours of freezing weather. That doesn't look probable. Look, we're always gambling. We're always gambling when we plant things. So we start by planting things that will grow in our area. That's the that's the trick. Don't plant things that you don't see anywhere else in central Texas. You go to a nursery and you ask for a, tr a tree, a shrub, a flower, a fruit, and they say, sorry, we don't carry that. There's a reason. Independent nurseries do not have the luxury of just providing you with any plant there is and guaranteeing it to be replaced if it dies in the first year. That's kind of a scam by the big box stores. Local nurseries are going to say, well, I'm sorry, we don't have success with that particular flower, shrub, tree, fruit here in Central Texas. That doesn't mean you can't try it, but they're not going to want to be responsible for it. They overwhelmingly have the plant fail. Now, there's always the thing called the 
um, specimen plant. Maybe you get a big uh, container. Maybe you get one particular special spot in your yard that you've really scoped out. You know exactly how much sun and soil and all of that. And you plant something that really isn't known for the Central Texas area. And so long as you put in the effort, and so long as you provide the culture and environment that that plant's looking for, you can grow it. But that can be a lot of work in some circumstances. We can be too hot. We can be too much sun or too little sun. We can be too dry. You may have to help with the watering a lot to make sure that the plants do well. But there's no guarantee, all right? If you plant a native, if you go to your local independent nursery and you get a plant that they are offering you, that they have researched and know that it will grow here, your odds go up tremendously. They really do. And, you know, you can get all of the fruit trees to grow here. You want peaches? Oh, there's a variety of peach that will grow here. Same with plums and pears and pomegranates, persimmons, a lot of the pea plants, right? Starting with a pea. Uh, figs. All of these plants you can get a variety that will do well in Central Texas. But you want to grow apples? Nope. Uh, you can find apples, but you're never going to grow a honey, uh, a honey crisp apple. Our environment isn't good for them. Cherries? Well... You can try them. That would a cherry would be um, definitely a specimen plant. Not impossible, but not highly likely. Citrus. Oh my! All kinds of citrus, but you'll do ten times better if you do it in a container. And the nice thing about that is. Most of the local nurseries selling citrus are selling it on what's called a dwarf rootstock. All the fruit is normal size, but the tree doesn't get too big. So it works in a container really, really well. And growing it in a container would allow you slide it into the garage in cold weather. Cover it, put it on, bring it in the house. And you will get citrus off of it. And it'll the flowers will smell fantastic. And the fruit is so delicious. So delicious. So be careful suggesting, suggesting that you want a certain, certain tree a certain flower, a certain fruit. If you are asking for things that just aren't common here, you can try them. I can remember 
a almost argument with a customer who wanted gooseberries and were so mad that we didn't carry gooseberries that she ordered them from some nursery in the Midwest and then complained about them dying, even though we told her, hey, you're, you're not going to have success with this. Look around. Every time you think of a plant, I want to try this, look around and tell me where you see one. Because if you can see it growing in Central Texas, you can probably grow it. But if you can't find that tree, hmm, don't bet on it. Now, I'll give you examples of some real ringers here. Avocados. Yeah, they'll sell you an avocado tree. And it's usually a variety that you only need one. It will produce a fruit. But avocados have zero tolerance for freezing temperatures. So unless you're going to do it in a container, and avocados are not dwarf, they will get quite large. Unless you can do it in a container, you, you'll not get your avocado to survive planting it in the ground. There are varieties that are listed as compatible in zone eight. Remember, when they tell you the zone number, that's an average of how cold it gets. That doesn't tell you that you can't get much colder than that, which can. And I can take you to places in Central Texas where there are people who are growing avocados in the ground. And they're producing avocados. Um, I met a gentleman doing that because we always told people we don't carry avocados because they won't grow here. And then he brought us in a bag of avocados just to show us that, well, they do grow here. He's got a perfect condition for it. If you have the same conditions, I don't know, maybe you want to try an avocado. But in general, nah, they, you're not going to, you're not going to get it. You're not going to get an avocado that fruits. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. We're at the bottom of the hour. We got a break for the news. We'll be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Um Let's go to the phone. This is James. James, what can I help you with? Morning, Jeff. Um, the book says it's time to plant carrots here in this part of Texas, and we order our seed from uh, Johnny Seed. It's called a pelletized seed. Mm -hmm. And before I got uh, my hands on that pelletized seed, I used to plant carrots and uh, spend hours thinning, which is not a lot of gardening fun. But with yeah. the pelletized seed, what you can do is you can plant them where you want them to stand in your little in your little furrow. Mm -hmm. And uh, then there's really no thinning at all. 
So those are my comments for this morning. Hey, James, do you have an earthway? Uh, what was an that again? Earthway? I can't quite hear. James, do you have an earthway planter? Yes, I have an earthway planter, but that's we use that on the big farm. Um, for just backyard gardeners, it, it makes real easy planting, um, you know, in your little growing beds because you uh -huh. can take those little pellets. They're white in color, and you can see them, and you can plant them uh -huh. where you want them to stand. Um, this is not bad weather to be doing it. The temperature range is just about perfect to get them to germinate. So um, I, I know we used to have carrot tape, but that got just so expensive that the pelletized seed sounds like an easy way to do so without, like you say, having to go back and waste yep. your time thinning all those carrots. That's, uh, that's the bad part about planting carrots. Yeah, Johnny's has got, uh, Johnny's seed has got just about any variety you'd ever want as far as carrot goes. They have the colored and the list goes on and on. And, uh, you'll find them either in organic or conventional pelletized. It's, if you like, uh, fresh carrots out of the garden, you'll really like that pelletized seed. Um, it really works well. Hmm. Well, I will have to be trying that. Uh, Probably won't be able to do so till fall. Uh, my garden, my precious space is already taken up. Um, but that is a good way to do that. I have never, I've never had great success with carrots, not because they wouldn't grow, but because I just couldn't thin them. That was, that was too much work for me. So uh, that's a good idea. I'm going to have to try those out. Yeah, good luck to you guys. Uh, uh, a fresh carrot out of the ground is is a real treat. Uh, yes, it is. Yes, it is. And uh, I'm I'm of old school enough that you just need to brush it off. You don't need to wash it or peel <laughs> it to eat it. So uh, that's what Malcolm Beck used to say. Yeah, I I think I'll have to give that a try, James. That'll that'll be an easy one. And I like Johnny's. They're a really good company. Okay. James, thank you much for the call and, and the comment. Uh, it's nice to know those things are available for us. Um, that really simplifies, simplifies planting. Um, I got a text here. Can oaks be trimmed through February? All right. Buy the book. No. The book says you should trim them July 1st through January 31st. Okay, we're 11 days into February. Is your risk gone up so much that you shouldn't be pruning them? Probably not. But I need you to remember, depending on where you live, some communities have ordinances that say, don't you be trimming oaks 
we have too many oaks in this community. We don't want to put them at risk. So can you trim now? Yeah, probably. It is not going to make this huge, significant increase in risk. But make sure the local ordinances of the community you're in say it's okay too. And remember, oaks are the only trees, the only trees that after pruning them, we paint the wounds. You do not have to have that black tar stuff. You just need to get paint on the wound to help it seal up really fast so the little beetle that causes a problem can't get oak wilt on the beetle and fly to the wound and pass it on to the tree. Um, but the, the official answer is we can prune oaks till the end of January. After that, kind of up to you. I'm just telling you what the risk is. Um, I noticed that and it's like, oh no, let's let's not do let's let's get to that one quick because people are gonna ask. Also, you will see many of our plants right now are starting to bud. I commented I commented that my escarpment black cherry is starting to leaf out. It's starting to form buds. Great. What happens if I get a freeze? Well, it's not going to kill the tree. It may knock off some of those buds. It may knock off some of those new green shoots, but the tree will be fine. I have a Mexican plum. Exact same scenario. It's going to be budding out here if it isn't already. It's at the far end of my property, and I would have to go down walk down and physically look at it to see it. But if it freezes, yes, you may freeze off some of those buds, but it's not going to freeze the tree. I don't know that I would worry about covering it. As the tree gets bigger, it's more and more difficult, more and more difficult to try to cover it to keep it warm. They're trees. That's their growing environment. You plant them in the ground and you expect them to be there another 20 to 200 years surviving whatever weather is thrown at them. So we're at the mercy of the weather, okay? We're at the mercy of the weather. So far, the weather's been pretty good for us. Pretty good for us. Now, this is a ah, this is an interesting question uh, referenced by lasagna. Someone is asking, what's the best variety of olive tree 
for Central Texas, and what sort of soils do they like? Number one, let's talk about the soil. Well-drained, almost rocky soil, but they want well-drained soil. Best variety? Now, that can be a bit of a problem. In Central Texas, we have a very common olive called an Arbiquinia. It is self-fertile, so you only need one. It is a beautiful tree, and it is one of the more cold-hardy of the olives. So that one gets suggested a lot. If your nursery is selling olive trees, they will probably have lots of varieties, but some of the varieties require a matching pollinator, meaning you would need two trees. If you got the room for it, great. Like I said, they can be truly beautiful trees. But Arbiquinia is generally one of the first ones mentioned because it is self-pollinating. You don't need two of them. It is a moderate-sized tree, 15 feet maybe, and it can handle the temperatures here. So um, if you're going to do an olive, and they'll start showing up probably April time frame in the nurseries, go for it. Go for it. See what they offer and talk to them about where you want to plant it, what kind of soil you got, and they'll recommend the best one for your environment. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. I need to take a break. I'll catch you on the other side. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome back, folks. You know, um, I, I was talking about olives. People ask, you know, can olives grow here? Uh, actually, they can. You can grow an olive tree. You can Uh, you can uh, get a decent production out of them. It can take a little while, and you got to have the right combination. Do you have a self-fertile olive, or do you have to have two to get a yield? So there are olives that will grow here. But I need, I need you to understand something. A single olive tree is not going to let you make olive oil. It's a complicated process. Um, it, it's a very complicated process. You should look it up first. It's about $2,000, or last time I looked, it was about $2,000 to get an olive oil press a machine that ground up the olives to release all the oil out of them, and then you pressed it and strained it into bottles so that you had your own olive oil. 
And the problem is, is that really good olive oil will only last you about six months. I mean, even if you put it in a dark bottle, even if you're really careful about how you do it, fresh pressed olive oil, yeah, it's amazing. It's going to taste so good. You're really going to be like super proud of the fact that you made it. Oh, but there's a lot of expense involved in getting the the oil. You have to do the olives a certain way. You have to macerate them. You have to grind them up really good. You need to let them set so the oil comes off of it. You got to filter all the junk out of it. And then you get olive oil that if you don't bottle it really well, will go rancid on you a lot faster than what you would buy at the grocery store. However, if you have an olive tree, you can brine the olives, any flavor you want. There are all kinds of brines to do. Collect your olives, pit them, toss them in brine. Let them sit, and they will keep for a long time. You can brine those olives to be a certain flavor or a certain spiciness. A single tree will give you those olives, and you will enjoy those. But don't think one tree is going to allow you to really go to town with uh, making olive oil. There are a couple of places, Texas Olive Ranch, they got like 1,500 trees. So yeah, they make oil. They've got enough trees and enough oil possibility that it pays for the machines that has to do the work. So keep that Keep that in mind. See what time have we got here? Um, ooh, yeah, Donna, I don't have anything to say. I'm being asked a question about Lomi, L-O-M-I. It's a countertop compost machine. Uh, one of the countertop compost machines makes a compost, quote unquote, that you're supposed to send back to them. That is counterproductive, no pun intended. The, the shipping costs, the energy used in transportation for you to sort of make compost that they'll finish off for you, uh, that's a bad business model. That is a bad, bad business model. Can you make compost on the countertop? No, not really. Not really. You can get a tumbler, which is much smaller, stick in your back porch, your back deck. I wouldn't have it inside the house but you can use a small tumbler and produce compost fairly rapidly 
But no, you can't produce, uh, you can't turn food scraps into dirt in four hours. And what's the cost of the machine? I don't think these are good plans. I looked into them last year a little bit. It's like, this is redundant waste. You can compost with a tumbler, even in an apartment, on your back balcony, porch, whatever. And one of those tumblers is going to cost a lot less than one of those machines. What $500? Oh my. Okay, thank you. That helps a lot. No, not worth 500 bucks. Not worth 500 bucks. Uh this is another type of product that we get in the gardening industry. Um and someone has suggested the pest control guy has suggested replacing wooden mulch in your flower bed with a rubber mulch. We had a couple of test gardens of rubber mulch actually at a government agency I worked for, kind of finding out, is this plausible? Well, part of the problem was it heated the soil up it did the opposite of compost, or excuse me, mulch. Mulch is designed to block the sun from the soil and cool the soil, keep the temperatures down. What we found in the rubber mulch, especially if it gets direct access to sunshine, it gets so hot. It actually killed the plants that it was covering because the temperatures got to the roots of the plant and they just collapsed. So wooden mulch is still the best and it doesn't promote the pests like you think it does. Many of those pests are beneficial. Is it worth replacing it? No. You may have to replace your wooden mulch on multiple occasions. It will decompose. That's what it's supposed to do. If you put down rubber mulch, it'll never decompose, and that soil will lose its nutrients. It'll require you to constantly be fertilizing. And the heat it can generate. Mm -mm. Wow. We were really surprised at how hot it got. We couldn't touch the mulch in summer. Of course, it was black. Maybe if it was a different color, it would be better. I doubt it. I doubt it. But I don't think it's a benefit. And it's really not going to make a, a super positive impact on reducing your pests. Is cedar mulch less susceptible to termites? Somewhat. Somewhat. You can still get termites. Got a rule here. 
there are termites everywhere in Texas, period. Several kinds of termites. They are going to try to eat what they can eat. They want to decompose cellulose materials, wood. The best thing you can do is watch for them. And if in your garden you pull out, for example, a beet, and it's got termites on it, that's not unusual. That is not at all unusual to get termites in your garden. Is there a lot you can do about it? Mm, not really. Not really. Sorry. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. Uh, coming up at the end of the show, I will talk to you all again next Saturday.